Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got a very special show for you today. Two veteran scouts joining us to discuss players they signed that have reached the majors and officially become big leaguers. First, we're going to be joined by James Benici of the Tampa Bay Rays. He signed Mike Brasso, who made his debut on Sunday. Brasso was a non-drafted free agent, passed over for 40 rounds. Benici signed him after the draft, and three years later, Brasso is in the major leagues and one of the best early season stories of the year. We're also going to speak with John Lukens, the Colorado Rockies area scout in Southern California. He signed Peter Lambert, who rose to become one of the Rockies' top pitching prospects and made his debut earlier this month against the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Starting with James, James has been a scout for 19 years with the Tampa Bay Rays. He uh, is based in Michigan and handles the upper Midwest for them. And that's where he found uh, Mike Brasso, a senior at Oakland University, and decided to sign him after the draft. James, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime you have someone you sign become a big leaguer, it's always rewarding. But having it be a guy like Mike, who was undrafted and got to the majors in three years, faster than a lot of the players before him, was that just a little extra special? What was that emotion like for you? It was absolutely unbelievable. I mean, everyone that you sign, uh, they just, you're so proud of the guys that get to the big leagues, but the non-drafted guys, this would be my first one. Uh, to get to the major leagues is extra special. I mean, these guys have to, number one, uh, get rid of the stereotype non-drafted guy and then go in and play and just continue to hit and hit, or in the case of a pitcher, just put up zeros, you know, and that's just what Mike did uh, right from the day one. So he's kind of a fascinating story. I was going back and looking from his time at Oakland. He always performed there, was a four-year starter, uh, two-time all-conference honoree as a first-teamer. By the time he left Oakland, he uh, was in the top 10 in school history and runs, doubles, home runs, total bases. He led the Horizon League in on-base percentage. Just looking at it on paper, it's surprising this guy wasn't drafted, at least as a senior sign. What's kind of the backstory there and maybe why he got passed over? Yeah, interesting. Uh, John Mustachio, and what, who used to be the coach there, and Jackie Healy, who is still uh, a coach there, uh, John, you know, uh, would just, you know, Rochester is my hometown where I grew up at, and he's just like, James, you got to take a look at Rousseau. He's just, he's raking. I'm like, and you go in scout day, and you, you just see him. And, you know, when he first got on campus, I think he was 150 pounds. So he was only 5'8, five, 5'9, five, 100, you know, 150 pounds, and he built his body up. And, you know, we'd go to the scout days, he'd run well. He'd show pretty, you know, pretty much what you really wanted to see. And it was just one of those guys where you're like, oh, gosh, Oakland University, um, small school. It was just, you know, one of those things that you just really couldn't sink your teeth in as a junior. And then John kept pounding me my senior, uh, his senior year and said, you really got to come back. And, and I went back a couple of times, and he did. He performed well. He did everything that, as a scout, when you're looking at, he moved well mobility-wise, left to right. He'd gotten much stronger. 
He was swinging the bat aggressively. He was driving it to both gaps. And you could see that he could actually just pick up the ball, get it across the infield, and do it fluidly, efficiently, and with some power on his on his throws to first base. And so I just, you know, I kept him in the back of my mind. And, and unfortunately, he didn't get drafted by anybody else. And at the time, our assistant scouting director was Tim Stegel. He'd ask, he's like, hey, we need a body for uh, the Gulf Coast League. Who do you got in mind? And I go, you know, this kid definitely is better in the body. And uh, I said, hey, this guy can go down there and perform. He should be okay. And and right away they said, hey, all right, let's give him a chance. So that's kind of the backstory on it. It was just really we needed a need in the Gulf Coast League for a shortstop utility player. And I knew the grit behind this guy, that the coaching staff there at Oakland University was just like, this guy has got everything you're going to need. And he did. He really did. When when we finally got to sign Mike, he was just really excited. He couldn't be more happier to start professional baseball. And he took he took it and ran with it. He most certainly did. Were there any other teams watching him in Oakland, or did you find yourself often the only guy putting eyes on this kid? No, there were some other scouts. You know, I think that uh, Gianna Reynolds with uh, the Cincinnati Reds that just texted me the other day. We were at the same name together, and we both kind of, you know, we're like, as a senior, he was just you know, a little undersized. At Oakland University, we're both just kind of ho-humming him. But uh, besides ho-humming it, you could see the potential of some strength, some ability to be a professional player. There was no doubt he had the attributes, tools, that we scout for. He did have some tools, absolutely. So given that there were tools and there was performance, was there any discussion, at least amongst you guys, about taking him in rounds 30 to 40? You know, to be perfectly honest, I didn't have him on my draft list. I really didn't, and I would be hard-pressed that any other scouts did, too. They might have. You know, I don't know. But I really didn't have them on my draft list. I did have them on my after-the-draft list uh, for guys that, you know, obviously, to fill a void in, in the Gulf Coast League, and he was a perfect fit for that. And, you know, not ha- not having him on my draft list, looking back at it, hindsight, absolutely should have had him on there, you know. But in the end, we got him and couldn't be happy for the kid. Absolutely. It was definitely good of you to have him on that after draft list. I want to dive into that because I think a lot of times we think of, at least the general public thinks of this process as, hey, the area scout has his list of guys, he turns them in. Uh, But take us through that process. You have this list of guys that you think are draftable, but then on top of that, you have a selection of names that you say, you know, these are who I want an undrafted free agent. Absolutely. Absolutely. You always want to keep those guys in play if you can. And normally you'll have uh, maybe a couple, five guys that you're looking at, at obviously right-handed pitching, shortstops and catchers and left-handed pitchers. I mean, guys that you may have run into that may just don't fit the bill. Their velocity is not there, or their bat might be light, their speed might, there just might be something that just, you know, it, you waver on it, so you're just like, eh, I'm going to have a tough time putting a dollar value and putting him on my draft list. Let's keep him on. Give me an after the draft. If we need this, you know, and they ask for it, give me the email put in a call, and let's let's see what we can do. So that's really what the after-the-draft list is, is. You have a couple guys on there that you really think and you want to give them the opportunity to play professional baseball. Having Mike on there obviously uh, served pretty prescient. What was the time frame between, okay, the draft concludes after 40 rounds and you guys realize you need that spot filled in the Gulf Coast League and Mike was your call? Is that just a matter of days or does it happen a couple weeks after? What's that time frame? It was just, as a matter of fact, it was just a couple of days. And the funny thing is, it's like the draft was later. Uh, so when he made his major league debut, it was darn near three years when we signed him. I mean, very close. Uh, I got the call probably two days after all three rounds were done. They were looking for a body to have, 
play shortstop down on the Gulf Coast League, and there wasn't anybody I thought more of than than Mike. I mean, I knew he would he would go down there, and after talking with him and signing with him, he was just you know funny story is when I went to sign him with my older son Wade. We sat there, and I'm just like, hey, I think I can get you a flight tomorrow. He's like, oh, my bags are packed. I'm ready to go. <laughs> so I was like, you know, in the afternoon, he was ready to go, and we got him on a flight that night. He goes down to the Gulf Coast League, and we do see this a lot of times, guys who are non-drafted free agents. They'll show up in rookie ball. They'll play a season, maybe a season and a half, and then they're released. He went down there and right off the bat hit 319, 424 on base percentage, slugged a little bit. Not a lot of homers, but a good amount of doubles. On the one hand, this is a college guy in the Gulf Coast League. You don't want to go too crazy. At the same time, seeing him perform, did your ears perk up a little bit and say, hey, this guy might be better than we initially thought right off the bat, or was that still to come? I think so. You know, when we get the game reports, which is, uh, you know, on Christmas every day, when we wake up in the morning, we get to see the, the game reports for all of our minor league guys. And when the game reports started coming in for him, it was just like, wow, okay. He's, and I mean, that wasn't only playing shortstop. He was playing third base. He was playing second base. And so the guys were, were letting him have some versatility down there. And he wasn't, um, as soon as he started to hit, he wasn't an every second or every third day player. I just started to notice he started getting the lineup every day. And he was performing every day. And he was doing exactly what you have to do in order to make the next jump each level. You have to hit and you have to go down there and do what's asked of you. And he did. He went down there. He was a complete professional. He worked his tail off. And the guys, the development people, have just really gravitated to him and really helped him out. During this process, how much contact were you having with him as he was making uh, his debut into professional baseball? I'd text him and call him. I was just like, excellent, what are you doing? You you know, how do you feel? And he'd text back. And then I'd text him once or twice in the offseason or call him to see how he was doing. And uh, that was basically it. You know, when, when he gets in there, I, I mean, I just want, I want to turn him over to the development guys that, that, you know, all the hard work those guys put in and let him focus on what he needs to do. So he goes out and has that really good debut in the Gulf Coast League. Like you said, the game reports are coming back promising. He's doing everything he should do. But again, being a college guy in rookie ball, two and a half years above, you know, league average age, it really starts to get real once he jumps to full season ball, and he did that. He went out the next season to low class A Bowling Green, hit again, hit 318 with a 398 on base and a 460 slug, got bumped to high class A Port Charlotte, and again hit uh, in a limited stint there. Was that the point where you were like, okay, there's something really real here? I think so. I really do. I got a text message from, uh, at that time, R.J. Harrison. He was in spring training, and he texted me. He's like, I think he's going to make the Bowling Green Club. And the game, we get the game reports even from spring training, and he just didn't stop hitting. You know, and when he was there, and he, and he was on that club in spring training, and he just didn't stop hitting. And he forced our hand or forced the, you know, the development hand, uh, whether to keep him on that roster, and they did. And I just think it's a credit to him, to Mike, I mean, just how hard he works, uh, the dedication he puts in every day, uh, to go out there and just take quality at bat after quality at bat and know that, you know, I mean, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He knows that, you know, at any time, you know, being an undrafted guy, he might get released. So he just went out there and just performed. He performed all the way up. Uh, the following year, went up to AA Montgomery, held his own there. And then I actually got to see him this year at AAA Durham. Uh, admittedly, I had not heard of him before, had no idea who he was. 
without the first few games and I was focused on you know, other players who are bigger names, and it's funny, I, I put this out on social media back in mid-May, I went back and found the tweet, and what I said was, you know, the more you watch uh, Mike Brasso, the more you kind of like him. He's got good hands, he takes really good at-bats, there's power in the bat. He was one of those guys that, at least for me in AAA, he doesn't jump off the page at you, but just the more you watch him, it's like, hey, this guy can do a little bit of everything, and he's pretty good at everything. I think so. I think his versatility, you know, with us moving him around the infield, putting him in left field, and him just him really taking a professional approach every day getting in the clubhouse, every day getting on the field, and working at his craft has really just uh, solidified him as, as a professional player. It really has. He's just he's a phenomenal human being, number one. Uh, just hard worker, and the guys on that development side, the time they've put in with him has just been phenomenal. Just phenomenal. You mentioned he's a great person. I want to go back to that because a lot of times the area scout, they're making home visits, especially for the guys that they are going to draft high. Uh, college side's obviously a little different, but uh, you still really have to dig in on the makeup on these guys. A non-drafted free agent like him, a guy who was on your after-draft list, do you spend a lot of time digging into their makeup? or What's that process like? Because I would imagine you don't have the same amount of time to devote to that. You don't. Um, what you do is, you know, you, you know, as the only guy, you obviously – what we do is we're, we're, you know, maturating relationships with the college coaches, high school coaches. So you really depend on feedback on those guys. And luckily I, I have a good, I had a good friendship with John Mustachio at Oakland, and, and, and he and I would converse quite a bit on this, and he just would not let up um, with Mike. He just, just would call me, and he's like, you've got to get here, this kid. And then when you sit down and talk to him, he just, in his eyes, how he talks, you just tell him. He just wants it. He just wants it more than everybody else. Just plain and simple. He certainly showed that uh, with his performance, uh, climbing up the minors. Made his major league debut this past Sunday. First at bat in Oakland. Gets a base hit. Uh, shoots a line drive to right and off of Brett Anderson, his first major league hit. Uh, were you watching it? And if so, what was your reaction when that happened? Oh, I was absolutely watching it. I wish I would have flown down there to been there, but I was... Uh, doing my pro work but of course I had that game right on on the laptop and it was you know just you know getting that first big league hit, just seeing him in a major league uniform was just fantastic it really was and then for him to get a hit it was just like oh my gosh he, he did it you know this guy he's gone all the way from being 150 pounds getting on the campus of Oakland University to being a major league baseball player and it was just it, just, it was surreal for me because it's just like you're pulling for every guy you draft get to the big leagues you just pull for him and you just you know, you think every guy you sign is going to get to the major leagues. And, you know, and Mike has just done, I mean, you can't say enough positive things about him, how, how when that first hit got through, just all the congratulations from all our guys on, on this side, on the scouting side, and, and through the industry was just fantastic. Absolutely. Again, this I, I can hear the pride in your voice, and, it, and it's very deserved. I mean, to have someone that you sign like this make the major leagues, not just make it, to, but to make it in three years. Uh, you know, sometimes these non-drafted free agent guys, because of that status, you'll see sometimes they have to move to another organization, or it takes seven or eight years, and they make their debut at 29, 30, even 31. I mean, here he is, three years, he passed up a lot of the guys drafted ahead of him. I feel like there, that's another layer to this that just has to make it even more special. Absolutely, it really does. And for me, it makes it special for not just for me, but all of our minor league guys. I mean, I think Kevin Cash said it best. Is like there's a lot of people 
uh, in this organization that are happy, that are just ecstatic that he got to the big leagues. Because all those guys, I mean, at least scouts, we get to go home to our families. You know, these guys in the minor leagues that are working with all these kids, I mean, are there eight, ten months a year just dedicating so much time to these guys. And I was I was just as happy for me as I was for all the coaches that have had him on their teams, all the roving guys that have, have worked with him. It's just, and especially for Jim Hoff, our late Jim Hoff, um, I'm sure he would have been just ecstatic to see him get to the big leagues. Absolutely. A lot of people were. I do want to ask, you mentioned he was 150 pounds when he got on campus. He's now uh, a sturdy 215. Obviously, the body has grown. How have you seen the tools grow, if at all, from his days at Oakland U to what you're seeing now uh, in the majors? Well, just looking at, uh, at the at-bats that I was watching, and I, you know, we, we don't get a, you know, we're not privy to a lot. We can get video of them when they're playing the minor leagues. I just haven't seen a whole lot of video, but watching them, the, the, the major league game the other day is, uh, you know, he looked, he just looked stronger. He looked so at ease at the plate and, and aggressive at the same time. It didn't look like he was holding anything back. And that was one thing that um, he was an aggressive hitter at Oakland for sure. But just the way he went about it, how his hands were working inside the baseball and how he was attacking it for me was just like eye opening. Like, wow, our guys have done a phenomenal job, you know, really a phenomenal job making this guy, not just like a doubles guy, but, He's got some power in the bat, and that he's an aggressive hitter. And he's, he's trying to hunt pitches that are in the strike zone. And so far, he's had some success. He got another hit as a pinch hitter the other night. Double, as a matter of fact. He got his first extra base hit. He's got two RBIs to his name. It's been a nice start to his career and really one of the, the early stories of the season. James, thank you so, so much for joining us today. And congratulations on not only signing a big leaguer, but signing a big leaguer like Mike. I appreciate it, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. Once again, that was James Benici, area scout for the Tampa Bay Rays. Really just an incredible story. Uh, The signing of Mike Brasso and his rise to the major leagues and how it all came together this past week with his first major league hit and his first major league at bat. We turn our attention now to John Lukens, who signed Peter Lambert. John's drafted a lot of big leaguers, most notably Nolan Arenado. He drafted Ryan McMahon. And his most recent big leaguer uh, was Peter Lambert, who made his debut earlier this month. John, first of all, when someone you sign becomes a big leaguer, just what's that emotion like for you? You've had a couple of them now, but is it still the same rush? Of course. I mean, it's it's so hard to get there. Um, you know, it, it would. It, it's such an honor for them that yeah, you, you carry some of that with you for sure. Every single one. Peter was obviously a very prominent player on the Southern California amateur circuit. He had pitched for Team USA, uh, the 18 and under national team, the year before his senior year. He was part of all the big showcases. It's not like he was a, a hidden gem you had to dig to find. But at the same time, there's a lot of these kids who are kind of on the scene, but maybe what they have won't translate to the next level. You scouted him pretty heavily. Ultimately, uh, were responsible for drafting and signing him in the second round. What was it about Peter that stood out to you that gave you the conviction that, yes, this is someone we want to invest in both financially and with the time it's going to take to develop a young right-handed high school pitcher? I think with Peter, um, there was not a lot of guessing going on. He had stuff and pitchability. Uh, I think um, when you're talking about high school right-handers, that's kind of the perfect scenario. Um, you know, I, I think mostly what set him apart was his maturity on the mound, his ability to pitch. Um, and then when you factor in the, 
the stuff, it's, it's really not that hard to come to that conclusion that we would take that guy. You mentioned the pitch ability. I remember uh, my previous job seeing him pitch for San Dimas High School, and I remember thinking it was almost like watching a surgeon. You know, fastball both sides of the plate, in, out, curveball, changeup, boom, done. Sometimes we see these high school right-handers who just throw hard, but they just get swings and misses because high school kids are geared up to try and hit 96. They don't actually have to throw strikes. Uh, Lambert just struck me as someone who was just so advanced. I remember walking away thinking, I almost think this guy could have some success against college players as a high school senior just with how advanced he was. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I agree. I mean, and not only that, it was it was really almost he just put so many good back to back to back starts together. It was continuous, and he had a real routine, and um, and, and obviously he cared, and he just uh, mentally um, a tick above you know, a, a lot of high school right-handers that I've ever seen. So he's just advancing between the years for sure. When was the first time you, you saw Peter Lambert pitch? Uh, area codes. I think, you know, we noticed their stuff plus pitchability. And, you know, obviously you circle his name and, and you key in on him, you know, uh, in the fall and at the events. And then, you know, it, it, and then in high school, you know, he, he's pitching for San Dimas, obviously, and, and starting in all those premier games. But like I said, I don't think the Rockies here were the only ones on this guy. I mean, this guy was, I, I think there's a pretty consensus opinion on this guy that, we were just ones lucky enough to grab him in the right round. You mentioned that, that this was someone who was a top prospect. He was committed to UCLA. This was one of the premier high school pitching prospects uh, around. Uh, you guys got him the second round, 44th overall. Given that he was you know, highly touted, everyone knew him, he was at all the main events, he performed his high school senior season, was there any concern he wouldn't be there when you guys wanted him in the second round? It's such a, the draft is such a crapshoot. That's really, you know, it was in that particular year, going back to that year, the first, um, there was a lot of arms in the area. So one of those guys was going to be there at that pick. We just weren't quite sure. You had Eshelman and, and Stamont and Lambert and the kid from Cal Poly Pomona. There was a lot of arms going in that area that year. So we were sure we were going to have a pick of, of one of them. And the way the board lined up that year, I was, I looked at it and said, uh, you know, we're going to get someone in, in that second round there. I thought that's where it kind of lined up. So, um, you know, like I, it, it's all luck, and you know, we lucked out and got the right pick in the right round. Absolutely. You mentioned the makeup with him. You guys obviously, Colorado is a very uh, hitter friendly park, but beyond that, it's also up the ladder. Uh, you start these kids in Grand Junction, move them up to Asheville, then they go to Lancaster, all extremely hitter friendly parks that can really take a toll on a young pitcher's psyche. Knowing that, how much uh, of the makeup digging did you do with Peter and, and knowing that he'd be able to withstand some of those uh, difficulties? Uh, it's, it's, that's an interesting story with this kid. Um, my initial home visit with him, I, I didn't walk out of there raving about the kid. Uh, he was very um, quiet, didn't ask a lot of questions, but really good eye contact. And, um, I just uh, stared at you and listened to every word you were saying. And the parents were actually a lot more engaged than Peter was. Um, so after that, I felt like I had to force you know Peter to say some things, get to know him. And, and that was a tough, tough call. I, I kind of misfired on my thoughts and thought maybe he wasn't really that interested and was heading to UCLA. But that's just who Peter is. He's just, he's a studier. He's, he's, he's a planner. He's, he, he's not, 
he's not quick to think on anything. So, um, very introspective person, and, and you know, he's got a plan within. So, that's just who he was, and, and, and you didn't see that until you watched him pitch because he put so many good back-to-back starts together, like previously mentioned. But yeah, he just uh, he, he was he had a plan for what he was doing. You mentioned that. So I mentioned I had seen him at San Dimas High School. Uh, then I went out and saw him pitch for Lancaster in the Cowlick a few years ago. And what stood out to me about him, besides the fact, hey, there's arm strength, there's an advanced changeup, and a really good breaking ball, was that he was not phased. I mean, he would give up a, you know, quote-unquote Cal League home run, a pop fly that gets carried out by the wind. Didn't bother him, just said, give me the ball, next pitch, let's go. And that was very, very rare to see for, uh, at the time, a 20-year-old in the Cal League in Lancaster to just not be phased by anything. And I think that was really what impressed both myself and a lot of evaluators uh, who were scouting him on the pro side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's just who Peter is. He's, he doesn't get rattled very easily. He's pitch-to-pitch kind of guy. and um, He's just advanced for – he's been advanced since day one. So it doesn't surprise me when I watched him in his – Major League debut, um, carve up the Chicago Cubs lineup, uh, and that's not an easy thing to do, especially for a young kid making his MLD debut. So that was impressive in its own just to watch that, but that's who he is. didn't surprise me. Yeah, I was going to lead into that. I mean, Major League debut is always special, but uh, for a young pitcher going up against the Cubs in Wrigley Field can be a daunting task. As you watched him just have the success he did, was it joy? Was it just what was that emotion like for you? Uh, it was it was fun. It was definitely it was very rewarding, um, and it was fun to think back and think about his makeup and see it evident on the field. You know, his very first debut. Um, so just proud, proud. Yeah, that was a heck of a debut. Uh, seven innings, four hits, one run, one walk, nine strikeouts. Uh, he's delivered a you know, solid start in three of his first four big league outings. You know, when you scout a young high school right-hander, obviously there's so many different ways they can go. Uh, we, we've been over the long track record of high school right-handers being very hit or miss. Was he someone, because of all the things you cited, you could have a greater confidence in him becoming what he's become? Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, sky's the limit for this guy. So, you know... Um, Makeup's going to carry stuff, all that. I mean, just the combo, the package. We talk about that a lot in the scouting department. Um, you know, this guy's going to be good for a long time. Most definitely. Uh, he's been a top 100 prospect here at Baseball America before. He's uh, certainly lived up to, to the pedigree and uh, made his major league debut, which is the goal as always. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us uh, to discuss Peter, and uh, congrats on signing another big leaguer. Thank you very much. Once again, that was John Lukens with the Colorado Rockies, area scout who signed Peter Lambert. Really cool to hear these tales. Two uh, guys who couldn't have come from different places. Mike Brasso, a Midwest small school guy who was off the radar and didn't even get drafted. Look at a guy like Peter Lambert, who everyone knew as a UCLA commit and one of the top pitchers in his class, went in the second round, got a signing bonus of just under $1.5 million dollars. Two very, very different players with two very, very different pedigrees, uh, but they ended up in the same place. And once again, the journey can take different forms. And uh, we saw that here with the pass that Brasso and Lambert took.
Once again, we want to thank James Benici and John Lukens for joining us on this edition of the Baseball America podcast. Always good to hear from the scouts who sign big leaguers and the excitement that they have for these guys never really gets old. Keep it here for more editions of podcasts like this here at BaseballAmerica.com. Once again, for James Benici and John Lukens, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, everybody. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.